0: Please be seated. It's good to see everybody here this morning and I see that we have visitors with us and we want you to know that you are always welcome here and invite you back uh, anytime that you can to uh, to be with us and hang around a little bit after services and let us get to know you a little better. We have been in the book of Hebrews for quite some time and... Hate to break it to you. We will continue to be in the book of Hebrews for quite some time, but we have looked at and understood that the letter was written in order to encourage the readers that they were a group of Jewish Christians who many were on the verge of giving up, quitting the Christianity. Uh, It wasn't worth it anymore to them. Uh. Persecution and other things had, had started piling up and they, they were just about to, to give up to throw in the towel. And so the writer is saying to them, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And he says in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, which have been our, our theme verses, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence that we had at first. And so he has been talking about how that we ought to encourage one another all through this. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what I called the outline of Hebrews. In chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Go ahead, Jamie. We have in here these five let us's, not let us's, but let us's. Do we have and he says here you want to know, you know, if if you came to me and you said I want you to just sum up the book of Hebrews in about that much I would say, okay, go to chapter 10 verses 19 to 25 where the writer writes therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the end the hope we profess for he who is faithful, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not giving up, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So we've already talked about let us draw near to God. And last week we talked about let us hold unswervingly to the hope. And I was thinking about that especially this week. Because on Thursday, we had funeral services for Pearl Williams Honey, 90 years old. And yesterday, we had services for Ralph Wilson, 98 years old. And when the writer of Hebrews says, hold unswervingly, this week, if I thought about doing the services for those two older folks, Even for most of you that's older. Even as I was thinking about that, I thought about holding unswervingly to the end. Holding to that hope. And how that both of them had done that all their lives. And that's what the writer has been trying to encourage his readers. Hold on. Hold on. It's worth it. It's worth it. And I'm sure Brother Ralph and Sister Pearl have had... I know they have both had tragedies in their lives. Both of them had to bury a son. Both of them grew up during the Great Depression and through World War II. And I'm sure had other tragedies in their lives that we're not even aware of. But they held on. They could speak today. I guarantee you, they would say, It was worth it. It was worth it. And they would say to us today, hold on, hold on. And so those first two let us statements we have in these verses kind of are individual statements. Let us draw near to God. Yes, it's let us, but we get the idea of individually drawing near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we have, yet we all need to hold unswervingly. But it's kind of an individual thing. I'm going to hold unswervingly. You're going to hold unswervingly. But these next three statements have to do with the relationship that we have to each other. And it shows the inter. Twinedness, intertangle, entanglement. There we go. That's a word. I know that's a word. The way that all of it works together. The way that, that it's not just for you to hold on and you to hold on, but let us hold on. Or you to draw near to God or you to draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Well, how are you going to help me draw near to God? How am I going to help you hold unswervingly? These next three let us statements show us. And so in chapter 10 and verse 24, he writes, as we talked about, and let us consider, go ahead, Jamie, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You see, we are not alone. We are not on an island. You remember Elijah? After he'd done battle with the prophets of Baal. And it was a a monumental success. Then all of a sudden the king and the queen say, we're going to kill you, Elijah. And the next thing we find Elijah hiding in a cave. Why? Because he thinks he is alone. He thinks he's the only one left. That's what he tells God. Just kill me because I'm the only one left. And God says, Elijah, there are 7,000 other Israelites who have not bowed down to Baal. Whoa. I imagine Elijah was kind of like, really? I had no idea. Now, if that 7,000 individuals all throughout Israel, that's going to be very difficult for them to hold on to that. But 7,000 of them together, helping one another? If we are 300, I don't know how many we have, 300 individuals out there in the world, by ourselves, trying to hold on, that's going to be tough. You see, God didn't create us to be Lone Ranger Christians. He created us to be a community of Christians. That's why we're called a family. That's why we're called members of a body. That's why we're called stones, spirituals, or stones in a spiritual building, because we are interconnected, intertwined with one another. Isn't it easier to accomplish something when we know that we are not alone? When we know that there are others with us, when we can gain strength and support from others. So he says here, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, the King James puts a little, it kind of has the same words, but it puts them in a little different order. The King James says, let us consider one another. How to provoke unto love and to good works, I kind of like that order because I think it makes a statement, and so first of all, we need to understand that we need to consider one another. How many times have we already seen in the letter to the Hebrews that plea to the brothers and sisters there to encourage one another? To be there for each other. To help one another. But you know we can only do that if we consider one another. If we look out for each other. We must take notice of each other. We must see each other. Last week we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we noticed how that is the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. All three passed by... The beaten man, it says that the priest saw him and went on by. The Levite saw him and went on by. And the Samaritan saw him and went over to him and helped him. You see, all three of them saw the man, but only one really saw the man, saw his need, really. Let what he saw affect him to the point of rendering service to the man who'd been injured. We talked about that situation where Jesus is at the Simon's house and all of a sudden the quote sinful woman comes in. And starts crying tears on Jesus' feet. And she washes his feet with her tears and dries it with her hair. And all the people around, especially Simon, the host of the party, is like, ooh. Does he even know what kind of woman that is? And Jesus says, Simon, do you see the woman? What a ridiculous question. Of course he saw the woman those of you here last night this is a little or Sunday night a little repeat of course she had barged into his house she had she had ruined his party for Jesus She was there in the middle of everybody crying and wiping his feet with her hair and making a spectacle of herself of course he saw her was Jesus really asking, Simon do you see her? Is she invisible to you? No. Jesus was saying Simon, do you really see that woman? Do you see the emotion that she has? Do you see her heart as she is coming here? We need to consider one another. You see, we see each other But do we see each other? Now, part of that is my fault for not really focusing and considering others. But part of that is your fault for masquerading and hiding. Not wanting anybody to see us. Not wanting anybody to know what we're going through. Not wanting to reveal some kind of weakness or imperfection in our lives. Because, you know, everybody else in here is so perfect. Everybody else in here has it all figured out. Everybody else in here is exactly what God wants them to be. And that's kind of the, the mask that we put on. But we need to consider one another. We need to know each other and be involved in each other's lives and have fellowship with one another to the point that we know each other. And when we see each other, we really see and help each other. You know, those that you are closest to, you can tell when something's bothering them, don't you? Even if they're trying to put on a good front. It may be, you know, a spouse. It may be a child. It may be somebody you work with kind of closely at at work. And you can just tell when they're a little off. You can tell when they're a little bothered. Because you know each other. If we're going to consider one another, we need to know each other. I think that the early church... The early church had a sense of fellowship and a sense of camaraderie and necessity because they had that us against the world mentality. And you know what? It was very real. It was very real. I watched, you know, sports and things like that. And every now and then coaches or whatever, you know, they'll try to drum up a little excitement or whatever and and enthusiasm. And and they'll say, you know, well, it's us against the world. Nobody thinks we can do it. You know, and it's just all propaganda, some of it, you know. But for the early church, it was them against the world. For many of these people to whom this book was written, their family had turned against them. Their friends had turned against them. Their society had turned against them. They were not welcome or wanted anywhere. And so that identity they had as a church family, that identity they had with one another was vitally important. We needed that to hang on. We need that same kind of attitude. It is us against the world. We need one another. We need the strength that we gain from one another. So we encourage one another. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 4. Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests. But also to the interests interests of others. I want you to look around. Literally look around. Look around. Don't stare at me. Look around. Okay. I want you to take notice of your brothers and sisters. Can you see your brothers and sisters? Can you see those who need encouragement? Can you see those who maybe are holding on by the last thread? And maybe it's what you say or what you do or what you write or text or whatever your mode is that keeps them hanging on. We need that. Consider how we might encourage each other. Take notice of those who aren't here. Take notice of those who aren't here. What can you do to encourage them this week? Secondly, besides considering one another, he says, spur one another on. Ouch. I mean, ouch, right? Spurs. We know what those are all about. Charlie, where's Charlie? Charlie, Charlie, you know, what's the purpose of a spur? Make the horse move. Make the horse move. Purpose is to get the horse's attention, right? With a little pain. Now, not a lot of pain, not debilitating pain, but enough pain to get the horse's attention. And if you, you know, if you can get the horse's attention without using the spur, do you do it? Sure. But every now and then, I'm a horse person. You understand? But every now and then, you just got to put that spur in. Make that horse do what it needs to do, what you want it to do. In Brazil, I was preaching on this section. And Mark was translating. And I didn't know whether or not... I didn't know the translation in Portuguese in the Bible. And I didn't know whether they had spurs in Brazil whether they used them or whatever actually the, the the translation in portuguese was not spur So but I wanted to make this point And so i'm preaching and I get there and, and I get to the point of spurring and i'm kind of asking mark You know, do they know what spurs are or whatever and mark is kind of pantomining You know, he's trying to get the word and find out what the word is, you know, and he's going And they knew what he was talking about. (laughs) They knew what spurring was. They understood that. Now the King James says provoke. Now, when you hear the word provoke, does that conjure up a positive or a negative? A negative. In fact, somewhere in the Bible, it does not say father's. Do not provoke your children to wrath. He provoked me, right? It's a negative thing. It's a negative thing. But norm, But here, it's a positive thing. Spurring does not sound too comfortable to the spurred. Maybe to the spurrer, but not to the spurred. Provoking, being provoked doesn't sound very positive either. But you know, when Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy is a, is a young minister. And Paul has left him in Ephesus to, to, to do the work of an evangelist, to be the preacher there. And so Paul writes to him and he gives him some instruction. This is, this is, this is Timothy's preacher school class. And so in 1 Timothy chapter, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul writes, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. I don't know about you, but two out of three of those don't sound too positive. Correcting and rebuking don't sound too positive. 66.6% of what Paul said Timothy ought to be doing when he's preaching kind of takes on a little negative tone. You know, we need to encourage one another. We all need encouragement that there are times when we need to be corrected. We need to be rebuked. We need to be provoked. We need to be spurred in a sense. You know, there's that old terminology, and I, I, where exactly it came from, I'm not sure, but you know, a carrot and a stick. A carrot and a stick. And I guess that had to do back, you know, when, when uh, you, you drove mules, you know, and they did the plow. And, and you were trying to get the mule to do what you wanted to do. Well, well, sometimes maybe you could just put a carrot out in front of the mule and the mule would go. But maybe sometimes that carrot wouldn't work, so you had to use the stick. Now, I would much rather you give me a carrot. Well, not really. You know what I mean? You know me. A candy bar. (laughs) I would much rather you use the carrot, the sweet. But I know me well enough to know there are going to be times when you may have to use the stick. When you may have to spur me. When you may have to provoke me to do the things that I know we ought to do. The writer is telling us that we need to do whatever it takes to encourage each other. And sometimes that may mean spurring. But the key here is, if I don't have a relationship with you, if I don't really know you, how am I going to take you spurring me? Are you provoking me? Probably not all that well. But if I know you, and I know you love me, and I know you care about me, and I know you want what is best for me, it may sting, and I may be a little ticked off with you, temporarily but I know you love me and so I'll take it to heart hopefully you see that's what was going on in First Corinthians chapter 5 you remember that situation where they had this man who was living with his father's wife and Paul says what is wrong with you people even the heathen think that's disgusting And he says, what you need to do is you need to put that man out of your fellowship. You need to spur him. You need to provoke him. You need to take a drastic measure. Why? Because you hate him. Why? Because you're disgusted by him and you don't want to see him and you don't want. No. The purpose is so that he'll come to his senses. So that he'll realize that what he's doing is wrong. So that by doing that, you may save his soul. Fast forward to 2 Corinthians. They'd done that. And the man had repented. The man had come back. But many of them were still treating him like a heathen. And Paul says, people... What I told you to do, I told you to do for a purpose. The purpose has been realized. Welcome him back. Welcome him back and praise God that he realized what he was doing. And he is now back in the fellowship of the believers. A little spurring now is better than saying nothing and letting me go down a road to my spiritual detriment. So he says, spur one, consider one another, spur one another. And then he says, spur one another toward love and good deeds. We must provoke and spur one another on to love. Love for God. Love for each other. And love for others around us. A love that does not consider ourselves better or ahead of other people. You know, sometimes... Sometimes it's hard to love certain people. Have you noticed that? Or am I the only one? Yeah, don't look at me like I'm the only one. It's hard for me to love certain people. But guess what? Sometimes it's hard for certain people to love you. It's hard sometimes to love each other. It's hard to do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Love your enemies. What? (laughs) That's just, that's insane. Love your enemies. Yeah, love your enemies. Love your family. Love God. Love your enemies. Wow. There are going to be times when I'm going to need you to help me love other people. I'm going to need you to help me. There may be times when I need to help you to love others. So we consider how we can spur one another on, provoke each other to love others. And he says to love and good deeds. Sometimes we need reminding what God expects from us. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to hold each other to a higher standard. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be righteous. God wants us to be pure and upright. God wants us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And there are going to be some times when I need a kick in the pants to do what I need to be doing. There are some times you're going to need to spur me in order to get me back on track. I may need that two-by-four, as Jimmy Allen used to always say in his class, you know, somebody, that, that brother just needs a two-by-four upside his head. I think he was talking figuratively, but with Jimmy Allen, I wasn't sure. But every now and then, we need that. We need that. You get the idea that the writer has been patient with his readers. That he's used the positives of the blessings that we have in Christ to encourage his readers. The carrot, as it were. Oh, we have a great high priest. Oh, the sacrifice is better. Oh, the the sanctuary is is better. Oh, everything is better, it's better, it's better, it's better. Don't give up because of all the positives. Now, he's thrown in a few negatives. He's thrown in a few warnings along the way, right? He's going to throw in a few more. It's almost as if he is setting them up to spur them. Let us spur one another on and here in about a chapter and a half, I'm going to give it to you. If you haven't bought the carrot up to this point, I'm going to give you the stick. But whether it's the carrot or the stick... The message is the same. Don't give up. Hold on unswervingly. So as a family, we consider one another. And we will spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you're here this morning and we not helping anyone, invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.
1: We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's d-f-i-e-l-d-c-o-c dot o-r-g or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com, or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Her meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9:30 a.m. for Bible class and 10:30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6:30 pm. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.